today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. If I ever went to the gym and and I had a personal trainer, he's going to put endurance in front of me. He's not going to let me do the lightweights all the time. No, he's going to say, no, David, now it's time to add on two pounds. Okay. Now it's time to add on four pounds. He's going to bring up the endurance. Why? Because he wants to see me excel. He wants to see me grow. He wants to see me mature. You see, if God made it easy on our lives, we'd never grow in our faith. We'd never get to that point of trusting Him in the dark because I've never been in the dark. God doesn't wish for you to have it easy. Instead, He wishes for you to become the best version of yourself so that you can experience Him and your life in Him to its fullest. To accomplish this, He'll have to challenge and push you to your spiritual limits. He'll have to make you work hard Pastor David teaches you today that to become a great servant of the Lord, you must fight to be like Him. No longer can you sit idly. It's time to not only know God's Word, but to ask the Holy Spirit to help you live it out. Now here's Pastor David in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message of practical faith. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, My my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. But in Matthew chapter 5, look down in verse 10. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Down in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, James tells us in verse 4 of chapter 1, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In Matthew chapter 7, down in verse 7, Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Well, James in chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Back in Matthew chapter 5 again, over in verse 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In James chapter 1, verse 9, James says, Let the lowly brother glory 
in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, that he's humble and he's small because he knows he will be exalted. There's a lot more in there. I'm going to skip through some of them. In in James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, James writes, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Back in James, in chapter 5, skipping over a few more here, but in chapter 5, verse 12, James writes, But above all, my brethren, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but just let your yes be yes and your no, no, unless you fall into judgment. It's interesting. Jesus said the very same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus says in in Matthew 5, verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all. He's not call, talking about uh, cussing here. He's talking about, you know, I swear to you, this is how I swear in my mother's grave. I swear on that. He said, no, you don't need to swear at all. Neither by heaven, or uh, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black. But let your what? Yes be yes, and your no be no. Where do you think James learned that? I believe from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. I know that trying to go through this whole book of James is actually going to be like taking, trying to take a drink from a fire hydrant uh, because there's like so much there. Uh, and, and there's so much, yeah, we'll get, a, we'll get moisture from it, uh, but there's going to be so much that we miss. But don't forget, that's the intent of these Wednesday night services as we're going through the Bible in a year, more or less. Uh, it's simply to whet your appetite to, for further study in the book. Now, just in the time that we have left, let me look, let's, let's kind of back up to the beginning of James. But I did want to get that correlation with the uh, Sermon on the Mount to you. It's amazing, as James writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Why were the 12 tribes scattered? Well, because of persecution, ongoing persecution that was, that was happening. And in particular, to the Jewish Christians that were being persecuted and pushed out, both by Judaism as well as, as the Roman government themselves. And he tells them there uh, in verse 2, Count it all joy. When you fall into various trials. How many of you, that was, that was the first Bible verse you ever learned in your life? Yeah. No, it's probably, it's probably one that you, you learn because of circumstances, not because of choice. Count it all joy 
when you fall into various trials, trials. What is a trial? Difference between trial and temptation. Trial is something that makes it very, very difficult to be a believer. Trial is barricades and walls in your way. Trial is the ongoing current that tries to force you downstream with every other dead thing and you're wanting to swim upstream for the glory of God. A trial is that that tries to slow you down in your process of sanctification and of maturity. A temptation, on the other hand, is the thing that wants to knock you out of the game, not just slow you down. It wants to knock you out of the game, make you ineffective in your, in your walk and in your testimony. A temptation comes to not, not to slow you down, but the temptation actually comes seriously to get you off track, to get you completely out of the game, get you off course so that you're really not doing, as a matter of fact, you're doing opposite of what you ought to be doing. That's the things. And James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, that push, that press that's coming against you, that, that barricade, that wall that's keeping you from pursuing at the rate and at the speed that you want to go in your growth in the Lord. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience. What do you mean the testing of my faith? I want to go this way. This is the way that I believe the Lord has called me to do. And there's a wall there, but I'm going to go. So I'm going to keep going and I'm going to crawl over that wall. I get over that wall and there's a boulder there. And I'm going to crawl over that boulder. And knowing that the testing of my faith, it's testing my faith. And do I really want to do what he says I want, I'm supposed to be doing? Do I really have that perseverance in my life that I'm saying, no, my, my faith says I want to go that way. He says it tests your faith. And in that testing of your faith, it produces patience. Oh, but let patience have its perfect work. What does it mean by that, that perfect work? That means that, that idea, the, the very reason that we have patience, the fullness of the understanding of why we're to have patience in order that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That doesn't mean that I come to sinless, or sinless perfection. That means that, again, I'm maturing in my faith. I'm maturing in my faith. So more often than not, if and when I stumble, I definitely stumble toward the Lord. I don't fall away from the Lord. I don't go off track. I continue on track. It may slow me down for a moment, but in perseverance, that, that, that continual going, my faith will keep me going. Look down in, in verse 12. There he says, blessed is the man who endures, what? Temptation. This is the other word. First one was trials. This is temptation. This is the thing that's trying to knock you out of the game. He says, when you endure temptation. That doesn't mean when you fall into temptation. No, that means when when the temptation came knocking and, and I didn't answer and it kept knocking and I didn't answer and it rattled the door and I didn't answer and it began banging on the windows and I didn't answer and it kept going and going and going all through the day, all through the night and I didn't answer. I endured that temptation. He says for when he's been approved, receive that crown of life 
which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, does that mean that if I fell into that temptation, if I opened the door, even on the first you know, gentle tap, does that mean that I've, that I've lost that crown of life? Does that mean that I've lost my salvation? Does that mean that I've, that I've fallen completely away from the grace of God? Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, I cannot see that. But what I can see from Genesis to Revelation is the faithfulness of God. And when we don't endure temptation, but we fall to temptation, that our God, in his love for us, draws us back to himself, woos us back, even as Hosea wooed Gomer back, as, as an unfaithful wife, even as God drew David back through the prophet Nathan. And on and on we could go through the word of God of those who have stumbled and fallen, and yet that God in his faithfulness drew them back. He said, but be careful, verse 13. Don't let anybody say that, oh, God threw that temptation at me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now let me stop right there. I believe that God will put a trial in front of you. I believe that God will put something in front of you to test your patience, to test your endurance, to test your faithfulness. And again, he doesn't do it in in an evil way, but he does it in the same way that if I ever went to a gym, I was going to name my refrigerator gym so that I could say, I'm going to go over to the gym. But... uh, if, if, if I ever went to the gym and I, and I had a personal trainer, he's going to put endurance in front of me. He's not going to let me do the lightweights all the time. No, he's going to say, no, David, now it's time to add on two pounds. Okay. Now it's time to add on four pounds. He's going to bring up the endurance. Why? Because he wants to see me excel. He wants to see me grow. He wants to see me mature. You see, if God made it easy on our lives, we'd never grow in our faith. We'd never get to that point of trusting him in the dark because I've never been in the dark. Why? I don't have to trust him. But you see, God sometimes brings us through dark nights. God sometimes brings us through quiet days. That is what I look up at at here Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's not a temptation. See, the temptation comes when the enemy knows my weakness and he comes and throws that lure out there, just, just the very one that he knows. I'll, I'll go and, oh, I'll just nibble around at it. I'll just go up, sniff it a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to bite that. No, that's the oldest trick in the book. I know that. And then next thing I know, I've bitten onto the thing and he's reeling me in. You see, that's a temptation. That's what the enemy does to us on a regular basis. He says each one of us is, verse 14, each one of us is tempted when he's drawn away by what? His own desires and enticed. And that, those two words, he's drawn in, he's enticed. One is a, is a hunting term. 
when he's drawn in. That's 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 by he set the the bait there. He put it, uh, you know, old stinky uh, meat of some sort, and he knows that's going to draw in that animal. And that's what the enemy does. He throws something out there that we think is so good, so enticing, when in reality it's putrid, it's dead, and it's dying. And we're enticed. It's the bait. It says when desire has conceived, then it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. He says it brings forth death. Does that mean my my spiritual death? And though I have life in Christ, I now because I've sinned? No. It doesn't mean that I'm spiritually dead, but it brings about a deadness to spirit. Do you know then, can you catch the understanding? I'm not spiritually dead, but there is a deadness to my spirit. I'm not excited about the things of the Lord. I'm not driven by the things of the Lord. I'm not pursuing the things of the Lord. There's a deadness of spirit. Why? Because I've allowed, again, I'm drawn away by my own desires. I'm enticed, and that desire gave birth to sin, and then that sin, when it came into my life fully grown, suddenly it just just squelched the fire of that spirit, that Holy Spirit fire that you and I ought to have in our lives to, to again, bring on that, that flame of desire for the things of the Lord. They say that the most miserable person is, is not the individual who's lost. You see, actually, uh, an individual who's lost, he probably has a great time, or she, just a wonderful time, because they don't know any different. You know, so they, man, uh, like uh, back in the day, uh, years and years ago, uh, there was a commercial that says, hey, you only go around once in life, grab for all the gusto you can. And see, the lost, that, that's all they have. So they grab for all the thrills of this life that they, that they can possibly grab because this is all they know. Don't you dare go to somebody that's lost and saying, I know that your life is miserable because they'll probably laugh at you. Now, some might say, yeah, my life is miserable. I lost my wife. I lost my job. I've lost this and this and this because, you know, I'm, I'm a drunkard or I'm a drug addict or what. I can understand that. But by and large, most in the world... They're dead. They just don't know they're dead. The most miserable person is someone who has been alive that's now living among the dead. They, they have the Spirit of Christ within them, but they're not walking in a way that that Spirit is being fed and nurtured and strengthened. The, the light of Christ isn't shining through them because they've closed down They've closed down that life within them. They're not dead. They just look dead. They act dead. Truth is, they probably smell dead. And yet God, in his faithfulness, says that, man, you that are spiritual, man, you see somebody that's in that way, you go down and and you grab them. You take them out of that. You save them, though, as by fire. I believe that there's going to be many in heaven that smell like smoke. Not because they had a cigarette habit, but because they hung around the flames of death, even as believers. James is such a powerful book. We're not even through chapter one. 
Better hurry. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Therefore, by the way, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to the world and trying to get them fixed up and prettied up. No, he's talking to believers. He said, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, wait a minute. I'm I'm already saved, and you're saying you're going to save my souls. Beloved, understand, this is, this is that process of, of sanctification that, that's going on right now. He says right now you need to cast off any immorality. You need to cast off that depravity. You need to keep on being saved, being doers of the word, not hearers only. Otherwise, you're just deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away immediately, forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect, catch this word, this law of liberty. This this got me as I was studying this and I want to actually study that personally some more. The law of liberty. Paul speaks about the law of sin and death. And here, uh, James brings out this word, this law of liberty. And he says, you, you look into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. And he speaks about if you're religious, you, you know you're going to bridle your tongue. But if you deceive your own heart, then your religion is useless. More and more, and, and the, the battle, we haven't even got into where the, the battle verses are, and that's in chapter 2 about faith without works is dead. And what he's saying is you can say all day, you can say all day long to as many people as you want. You could go to a door-to-door campaign, knocking on doors, inviting people to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can say all day long that you are a believer, But if your life doesn't show that reality, beyond maybe just trying to get others to join in, if your life doesn't show that reality, James is saying, you really don't have living faith. You don't have a faith that that comes to salvation. It's a faith that, that, that says one thing but does another. And James says, that kind of a faith is, is dead. It is a fruitless tree. It's Phariseeism to the max. Because on the outside, I may look like something, I may speak something, but it's the interior of the heart. And that's the other thing. It's, it's when, I, when I speak of works, it's not just going out and doing something, guys. Otherwise, we'd have all kinds of people signing up to help out in the preschool and in the third through fifth grade on Sunday morning, first service, and also second service. We'd have tons of people signing up for that if it was just external. But it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be from the heart. And you know what? I can't see the heart, neither can you. But God can. God can. Open our hearts. Change us from within by the open word. Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? 
That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.